Welcome back to The Stack. This week we speak with Logan Allen, better known to Urbit as Takrit Sokrip. Mr. Allen's rather young and doing a Logan's run through life. The man's sorted his plans, got a kid and a wife, quit college, learned to code, worked at Talon, changed his mode, practiced winning farther, winning faster, life the racehorse and he the master, and even when there's no disaster, changing tack and, not looking back, forming Tyrol, building payment rails, and Ukbar, Urbit's holy grail. But first, the news. Item one is item two. L2, that is. The most important thing to spring from Urbit in a year or so? The experience is first-rate. It offers a smooth transition to free emission of planets. Transactions are free with Talon, assuming the cost of the roller, but limited to 25 a week. If you plan to do more than that, you'll have to send a tofu gift basket to CEO Galen Wolf Pauly. Item 2 is also item 2. Thanks to the efforts of Sipful Hatred and Mopfell Winrux, among others, Urbit is now on Umbral. Users can easily use Umbral to set up a Bitcoin node that Urbit can share, as well as, eventually, the Lightning Network and other integrations. It's now so easy to set up Urbit and use it for Bitcoin payments, I'm finally going to be able to get my mom and her entire Facebook friends network onto Urbit. So remember to thank Sitful Hatred and Mopfell Winrux for that. Item 3 is just item 3 without making a big deal about it. Hooniversity is back! Take that, can't bot. Emphasis on the can't. Taught by Professor Dr. Neil Davis Esquire, it's all cores and doors, the standard library, and shipping code. Later iterations will have the goal to have goal, Urbit's application management vein. If you want to sign up, go to hooniversity.org forward slash enroll. Yes, indeed. It is called Dalton, where the transitory lands of Web 3 converge. In venturing north, the pilgrims discover the truth of the old words. The internet fades, and the lords go without bandwidth. When the age of Web 2 is threatened, the bell tolls, unearthing the old lords of tech from their graves. Jack Dorsey, saint of the Shadowban. Moot and his personal army, Anonymous. And the reclusive Factorio playing lord of Minecraft, Notch, the Exiled. Only, in truth, the lords will abandon their thrones, and the Urbiters will rise. Forsaken Hollow, if you would free yourself from the undead curse of social media, if you would save your sanity and your personal data, seek out the Fellowship. You can find their ever-burning bonfire at Dalton.org. And now, our conversation with Logan Allen. Logan, you do not sound like a son of the South to me. No, yeah, so... uh... You know, I, I'm in a generation that's uh, more or less uh, devoid of uh, roots. So, uh, I mean, I I got my way of speaking from the television more so than I did from right. my family. And, like, all of my cousins are the same way. The most a few of them have is a little bit of a twang. And, like, the most that I have, I, I'd say, is just I use words that people in the yeah, world yeah, don't yeah. use. God darn it. Yeah. You're, um, uh, yeah, you're, from, you're from North Georgia. I am, yeah, yeah. Which town? I, I, I always forget how much how much like context everybody has on each other just from uh, just chatting for long periods of time. Yeah, where um are you from? Up like LJ or whatever? Uh, Gainesville. Gainesville. Oh, okay, all right. That's pretty. Gainesville, I've been to the, yeah, uh, Lake Lanier. I've been to the uh, uh, botanical garden there. Oh yeah, in Atlanta. Which, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> well, no, the Atlanta one is very nice. They have a branch in Gainesville. 
which is oh they do you know i i had less, never been to that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 less spectacular well i lived in um i lived on 15th street in atlanta which you know and so walking okay. distance to the botanical garden and i think really? even josh even josh likes the botanical garden it's the only um, thing about atlanta i like the only thing in atlanta that you like um sure yeah how, so, how long were you uh in atlanta i i lived there um like uh ha well half a year in 2012 but then i i lived there from 2014 to 16. my daughter was born okay. at piedmont hospital so got it yeah as uh, was i for that matter were you really yeah at in piedmont hospital okay great yeah it's like they're like twins wow yeah lots of <laughs> lots of georgia yeah. connections in here but but you guys are totally different places now right uh well i mean you know i'm from i'm from georgia as well i'm, so, I'm south of you like uh i shouldn't say that i'm not gonna say where i'm from in georgia but yeah I'm, uh and yeah we we we're both in china you're now not, He's you're in, not from gay right isn't there a gay gay georgia <laughs> I, i'm from the gayest georgia uh no i'm from i'm from a, i'm down down highway 19 peanut peanut farms and peach trees peach trees yeah peach trees yeah i'm i'm from uh i'm from the mule capital of the south what used to be the mule capital of the south got it north of valdosta or that far Uh, yeah way way north of valdosta isn't it valdosta i think it's i don't think so it's valdosta Valdosta. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of those shibboleths. Like I, I knew that it's a shibboleth, but I didn't remember which direction. Which way. Yeah. Which way. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you the real shibboleth is if you can, if you can pronounce, uh, T-A-L-I-A-F-E-R-R-O. How did, how is that pronounced? Tallulah. <laughs> Tallulah. <Tolifero? That's, laughs> T a l i a f e r r o is pronounced Tolliver, Tolliver County, Georgia. Uh, now that's I, interesting. I, like stopped listening after the T a l and assumed you were asking about Tallulah Gorge. Yeah. Tallulah. Um, I I have I I have fond fond memories of of Georgia though. So um, even yeah, yeah, even yeah. though it was all in Atlanta. All in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, Atlanta well, is a place. Yeah. I, I, you know, because uh, you went to tech, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. I didn't graduate from tech, but I did go there for three years. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. did you, did you, um, did you drop out to coat to Hoon or what did you do? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, dropped out to uh, do more uh, Bitcoin stuff and uh, ended up at Talon very shortly thereafter, like within six months. Oh, you, you started, started out developing Bitcoin then? Uh, well, I wanted to just do things that were crypto adjacent. And so I figured the way to do that was to put myself in San Francisco, just at the like highest paying job that I could find. And then like try to get some percentage of that to be in Bitcoin. And then from there, just like use the like, you can just move jobs way more easily if you're physically there. And so that was kind of the idea. And you know, six months later, Talon had an opening for like, you know, just a tiny little period of time. And I was there at the right time. So I got it. What had gotten you to the point where you were like this, because you were, you were doing CS, sort of conventional CS, everybody else is trying to go to Google or, you yeah. know, whatever. Um, what, what clicked for you? Because that would have been relatively early in crypto, not, I mean, not, right? not super early. I mean, it's, yeah. it was 2017. So right, right. really, really like the, the peak hype. Uh, it's for, always early in crypto. crypto. Sure. That's sure. sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it feels early now with all of the institutional backing, but you know, I mean, there was, there was just so much like wait. I mean, Bitcoin was just blowing up the media. I, ICOs were going nuts. And so, I mean, I was, I was just kind of, uh, I was of the mindset that I essentially had learned what I needed to learn at school, which was how to force myself to learn things that I didn't want to do. And 
then that from there, it wouldn't really like affect my job prospects at all, whether I graduated or not. And so I was kind of like, okay, you know, I think the U S dollar is going to start hyperinflating sometime in the next, you know, three to seven years, but I really don't even know that it's three years out. I can just hope it's at least three years out. And so my thought was, uh, to expect something like a Weimar Republic hyperinflation event at some point in the near future at an unpredictable time. And I was like, the only possible thing that makes sense at this point is to go out and immediately start collecting as much hard currency as possible. Um, and so like spending time learning more abstract math didn't make sense versus accumulating hard money. Well, you look like a genius now. Yeah, here you yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it turned out well. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, had more living expenses than I desired to have in that time period with, with uh, San Francisco housing. But, um, but regardless, I mean, I, I feel like I ended, ended the situation in a, like, well-positioned and uh, burgeoning industry in, like, a really, like, niche part of it. Did you feel like a fish out of water in San Francisco, or what was the... Well, you know, I, I had uh, done internships in San Francisco before, Right. Um, and so, so I had spent two summers there previously and one in LA just while I was in college, just to pay for college and everything. Um, and so I kind of knew what to expect. Um, but it's one thing to go there for short periods of time. And it's another thing to, uh, you know, kind of live there and have the extremely, uh, I guess nihilistic, uh, culture with, with the, like, total lack of attachment to any form of meaning or values like around you all the time and like not be expecting to go back to somewhere where people are like less far down the slope. So I, I didn't feel like a fish out of water, but it was, it was like different. You ended up working at Talon. What did you do for Talon primarily? Sure. So when I first started working at Talon, um, I went there to actually build a mobile app for them, which is amusing because that, that had been the primary thing I'd been doing prior to working at Talon. Uh, so I had been working at Uber and Snap mostly um, for most of my internships and stuff. And so that was just, you know, iOS and then Android stuff as well. Um, and so Talon wanted a mobile app. And so I was like, oh yeah, I can build you a mobile app. That seems like a thing I could do. And I was interested in Urbit already. And so it kind of gave me an end to start learning Hoon and things like that. Um, the desires around the mobile app were very um, strange, which led to it uh, not ever really being launched. Like it was launched on the app store, but it wasn't really very good. And so we kind of pulled it eventually after we started focusing more on the web client. So un unfortunately um, there was a strong desire at the time from the, uh, People, people managing the project to desire for the uh, app to be written in React Native as opposed to be being done natively. And so they, they kind of had this idea that they wanted the whole uh, front-end team, which at the time was like me and one other guy, um, but they had this sentiment that it would expand. And so they were like, well, we want people who know JavaScript to be able to maintain both clients. Now, I had never built a uh, mobile app with React Native. My, my expertise was in building things in Objective-C, Swift, or Java. And, and in fact, the tooling at that period of time in early 2018 was really, really immature in the React Native space. You know, the, the most used database in the React Native space that I picked as like the, you know, library we were going to use for persistence, like had like you know, memory leaks that crashed the application um, like 0.5% of the time that you couldn't fix because it was in the native code bridge. You know, basically there were, there were issues that, that with, with the React Native platform at the time that made the problem of building something that was actually like the quality that we all wanted it to be not feasible, which just frankly sucked because I desired at, at the time, time to build... At that in, time, in landscape, it's, anyway. landscape itself was pretty, like, uh, rudimentary, right? Very much so, yeah. Yeah. We, we had uh, two of the kind of basic elements that we have now of, like, chat rooms and notebooks. 
but they looked nothing like what they are today and they were very very slow and janky was the next project that you worked on after that was that uh graph store or did you have anything else in between yeah so so kind of after i worked on the mobile app it went pretty pretty fast from there to them them kind of realizing that the way that applications were being constructed was not going to work no matter what we did because we were current we were building on a backend called hall that had uh, been that had been created um, years earlier and then not maintained. And so there was this there were like all of these issues with Hall where Hall was supposed to be like this general purpose message bus, but had really been designed using these extremely idiosyncratic patterns that were being considered for that they were basically being considered as an idea for how that how one could build all of uh, Gaul. So like Curtis had this like big brained idea for like, okay, we can rewrite the whole application layer of Urbit to be based around like diffs and applying those diffs. And then Hall was this experiment in that style without actually rewriting the application model. And Hall was just absolutely insane, like code <laughs> that was impossible to deal with, impossible to maintain or edit. And so the first task that, that I really worked on was essentially rewriting just the messaging layer, the, the chat layer of Hall to be sane and to be like a, a more specific uh, application that wasn't seeking to be a general message bus. And so I wrote something called chat store and, and a networking layer called chat hook. So that was what I did first. And this is this is um, just this is like more two thousand eighteen nineteen. This is early twenty nineteen. Okay. Yeah, so that was early twenty nineteen. I built Chat Store, and uh, and Isaac built um, this this uh, other application called Publish, and that that's what turned into Notebooks now. And so between Chat Store and uh, Publish. We had we had these like two big applications that also acted as databases that also served their own front end and had all these like bespoke ways of storing data and interacting. And so from there, um, it was it became better than Hall, and we actually shipped better versions of the applications. It was uh, still very difficult to maintain that amount of code surface because they had totally different front ends, totally different coding conventions, totally different like everything <laughs> you have the the one camp who believes that your storage solution should be bespoke so if you have a if you're writing an app it's uh bespoke data storage and then the other camp i suppose which is the one that either you were in or still are in is that you have to uh you have this sort of general um storage solution which is graph store right have i characterized that well, let's see. So, so sort of. Um, so, I, I think I think it's it's very close. It's very close to that. So, um, on on the one hand, I think there there are a group of people that that would that would say, you know, every bit of data storage should be should basically have its own application that has bespoke logic for how that data should be stored and what it should what you can do with it. And the form, and you know, in crazy different formats and totally different conventions. Now, I think that that is uh, bad because, more or less, I think that that ends up with a ton of different, you know, very drastically different protocols that start reconstituting problems of the web now, where you have totally incompatible uh, standards for data transmission. Now, NOC is helpful because it it gives you a, a single like almost binary like format that things can be serialized into, but it's not like, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it's not that much. I mean, knock is just a tr binary tree of numbers, you know? I mean, I guess it's a little bit more structured than straight up binary, you know, flat binary files, but it's still like not a ton of standardization. And so the, the idea that I think myself and a few others, um, kind of put forward is less that say graph store specifically should be oh, the data storage format and more that the application databases that are built would ideally be 
built not to serve singular bespoke purposes in very specific ways and idiosyncratic ways, but rather that applications and, and code would be written to serve as generic building blocks that could serve multiple or maybe even many different use cases and be like pluggable building blocks, as it were. So GraphStore was the first stab at making a single application that was that was a pluggable building block for building social media applications. When did you start building that? I started building GraphStore in, let me think. Uh, you know, I... It was later in 2020, wow. right? Uh, I, I think so. Just yeah. give me a second to, to think about the timeline. Uh, yeah, so I started building GraphStore toward the middle of 2020. So in probably the very beginning of May. Yeah, I, I remember like there were a couple of times, you know, just following you on Twitter or someone masquerading as you. And there was one, once with S3 and then the other time when you started doing GraphStore and then I think you rage quit Twitter sort of shortly after that or something. But like the, um, you know, it seemed like you would have these like epiphanies and just start kind of working on a project. So did you just have, did you have that freedom from Talon to just say, you know what, I'm going to put everything aside. I want to figure out this problem with S3, which is gnarly, or I want to build out GraphStore. Like how did, how did that work? Sure. So the structure of decision-making at Talon is very complicated. Um, and it was especially very complicated in those earlier years before things were as organized as they are today. So Talon was a very flat organization that had basically two layers. You had everyone and then you had the like C-suite. Um, and so essentially in order to spend a large amount of time on a project, the C-suite needed to believe strongly that that project was important for you to spend your time on. Um, however, for very short um, things such as S3 that took a day, um, there was a lot of uh, lateral mobility to just build whatever. Um, but for GraphStore, there was this very long and belated process starting in December, the early December of 2019 of me um, convincing. I mean, it, it eventually seemed to be that I had to go convince every person at the company <laughs> that, that it needed to be done um, in order for every person to then go convince the various members of the C-suite that it did in fact need to be done and was a sane thing to do before six months later, I actually got to do it. Um, does you'll know you'll notice there's just these really long gaps of time where you don't see a lot of productive energy occurring and it's and it's essentially because of the amount of wasted time that was occurring um, uh, essentially trying to make projects that weren't ever going to work for architectural reasons for you know forced to work is that usually then just like a sunk cost or do you do you learn something from those processes that is helpful for developing in the future? You know, you, I, I definitely think you learn something from seeing how designs fail, but I don't think that you learn really anything at least about programming, though perhaps you do learn something about uh, people from, from you know, the, the, you know, like you learn something the first month about, well, oh, this design's not working. And then you maybe learn something for the next five months about people. <laughs> we'll leave it at that the um uh but now now you've you you're running your own company does that give you a little bit more uh sympathy for how hard it is to allocate sort of time and resources on projects you know i i honestly feel like it's it's a night and day situation because of the difference in scale of the company that we're running so, like, you know, I, I can't imagine how much different it'll be to to be running a company that has many more people in it, like, say, 20 or 15 than it is right now, where 
I'm just in a company with two partners and we all, it's so easy for us to all have perfect context on what everyone is doing and should be doing. And everyone's extremely highly motivated. And of course, since there's just three of us, we obviously, you could say handpicked each other. And, and so like, there's no worries about quality. Everyone has good ideas. Everyone already gets along very well. Um, everyone has equal say. And we essentially just go grind on different things that have to be done that we all agree have to be done. And so really, it's, it's only ever a question of like prioritization, maybe. And big picture, so just to kind of step, take a step back, so Terrell Corporation is not making replicants. It's focused on payments, payment rails on, 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 on Urbit. That's right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Terrell Corporation's motto is more Urbit than Urbit. And so we, our, our general idea here is, is yes, payment rails. But, but also just all payment products on Urbit in general. So, so like the, the, essentially the first stab that we're, that we're taking here is we're saying, you know, people want to be able to pay each other US dollars on Urbit. And they want to be able to do that a lot. And so not just that they want to be able to send dollars to each other in Venmo style in a chat room, but rather people want to pay the many extremely talented creators that are on Urbit. Now, a lot of people don't have Urbit yet, but the people that are on Urbit currently, again, are these extremely talented and creative, um, bright individuals that are often just doing really cool stuff. And so Terrell's goal right now is essentially getting those people paid by everyone that's not using Urbit. So take all the people that are on the regular web and get those people to start paying people that are making dope stuff on Urbit, that are writing, that are making podcasts, that are hosting YouTube, or not YouTube, obviously, but like that are putting, you know, like videos out every week about something, you know, people that are, um, wanting to sell planets and help onboard people into their own communities. Take all of those people and give them ways to make money and start making their livelihood on Urban. Yeah, I have to. I have to thank you personally for a studio because we've um, already hacked it to to do some bespoke routing for people, um, and. Uh, we're setting up we're setting up something called Urban Media, and uh, getting a bunch of creators to like, like people who are maybe not able to set up their own Urbits or they want to be part of a, a creator network. And uh, the first step mm-hmm. the first step was actually um, hacking hacking uh, the studio app. So thanks for op- making that open source for us. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. <laughs> We're, we're very interested in uh, essentially like making the, the regular uh, studio distro, as it were, um, appropriate for whatever use cases that you have. So feel free to, uh, you know, send us over, you know, ideas or feature requests or whatever, or even pull requests. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what might be useful for everybody um, is, is if you guys can make it uh trivially easy to make your base url the the one the one that is like you know you're pushing out your blog to that or something instead of making that the login Mm -hmm. sure yeah um that's that's kind of a double-edged sword in some contexts as uh, justin murphy found out in that uh, depending on the hosting setup that you have for instance on talon hosting currently um, doing exactly that um, makes it impossible to log into your Urban. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of their uh, reverse proxies. Yeah, he uh, he yeah. he actually. Um, came, but they're working on it. So he he came to me for tech that support. That sounds like their problem. <laughs> yeah, I, he came to me for tech support, and that's always a bad idea. Like if you're if I'm your your first go to guy, then the 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 situation is dire. Luckily, there are people who <laughs> are more helpful than me. Dire, but, yeah. You talk about garbage fiat payments. 
Um, so you see a lot of demand for that. I know your your original love is crypto, real currency, real money. Um, so wh- what do you see as the the future? Oh well, I, I think I think the future is very very clearly um, in in some uh, in some wonderful uh, duality between uh, technological innovations that enable people to use money in ways that it's never been used before, whether that's um, utilizing zero knowledge proofs to have uh, programmable proofs of strange computations that were used with money uh, or were accomplished with money or uh, whether, whether that's uh, more a more conventional um, just monetary theory, like idea, of course, that, that all people are going to flock to the hardest money available over time. Um, and, and so, of course, those two different visions are, on the one hand, the the more like high throughput smart contract chain idea, and on the other hand, the uh, the Bitcoin uh, low throughput but very very secure and uh, decentralized and you know and fixed inflation schedule etc. Ideas and so and so I think that those two ideas are essentially fighting for the future, and I think that you know all of all of the 20th century and prior alternatives are not even, I mean, you know, they're, they're not, they're not even uh, really in play for, for taking the future in terms of, you know, there aren't going to be like, there's not going to be large demand for central bank digital currencies. Now there could be um, more convenience to them than there are to the uses of fiat now. But I think that the, uh, the downsides of all of the um, increased ability to do surveillance, all of the increased ability for, uh, rampant and unreasonable taxation all um counter counter you know act as counterweights for uh any any increase in uh convenience they could offer and so now that people have a reasonable alternative i mean the the future is certainly bitcoin and ukbar now that you said the name can you explain your does is it tyrol who is involved in ukbar or just you or is that a meaningful distinction well, it's 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 not a very meaningful distinction, but um, but but there is a correct answer, <laughs> and the correct answer is is that Terrell is acting as a contractor for the DAO that is building Ukbar. So, can we talk about Ukbar? Sure. Yeah. I, I guess can you just explain um, since we're we're going to be try to we're going to try to be uh, normie friendly here? Can you explain what Ukbar is? Sure. So Utbar is a blockchain that is built on top of Urbit and using Urbit's core technologies that is sharded by default. So it has a main chain and shards in the same way that chains like Polkadot and Nier have. And it is obviously not native. And it has smart contracting capabilities where all of the smart contracts are written in and specified in NOC. Beyond that, there's a lot that's in flux, um, like the specific technologies that, that will be used for, for implementing um, those, shard, those shards and data availability for them and, and things along those lines. But... Um, even that, I think, is it is extremely interesting by itself. So, Urbit fixes this. What does Ukbar fix? Ukbar is interesting for a few reasons, but one of them is essentially that Knock is very, very interesting as as a as a functional assembly language. So, Knock is a specification language for computation that can be executed, and so. Knock essentially allows you to very, very quickly write and prototype functional code that can then be optimized and made significantly faster over time, where that functional code is all using the exact same serialization format, which is, again, Knock, because it, it, it's a language for expressing both data and code. And so there's, there's a large problem today in scaling layer, layer one chains. And so with, with these layer one chains that are trying to scale through just 
becoming bigger, like Solana, there's there's essentially a it, it's essentially a joke to say that Solana is decentralized in that the requirements to run a Solana node are astronomical in terms of the hardware cost and network transmission. However, um, you do want, and in fact, people have shown that they want to be able to do transactions using smart contracts and programmable logic on a blockchain. And so you see other common approaches today, including sharding, where you split computation between many different, essentially smaller chains that check in their data to a main chain using generally hashes or, or some other form of proof that their computation is uh, working appropriately. And so the problem with a lot of the sharding that people are doing is that they're using extremely bespoke formats for their data that are very, very difficult to interact with from normal computers. So Ethereum's EVM and its bytecode is very difficult to go interact with from a web app or uh, Python. And so not solves the problem of uh, that many, many sharding blockchains have um, in which it's very, very difficult to, com to essentially communicate across what is more or less an FFI uh, boundary, a foreign function interface, um, where you have these totally different formats. You have like the EVM bytecode, then you have some JavaScript and you want to communicate with this Solidity contract. So you have to serialize all your arguments into EVM bytecode and then send them off using some janky libraries and then using some node that's crazy and sitting somewhere in the cloud. Um, or on uh, Polkadot, you have all these like, you know, WebAssembly like chains running these totally different, like crazy, you know, binary applications that then need to talk to each other across these crazy bridges. And it's, it's nuts. Um, and so like, the whole idea that you're going to have people actually standardize on formats that they're going to talk to each other over that are like sane is ridiculous because you haven't seen it from the web in, you know, 25 years. Um, but again, knock solves this problem because in knock and in Ukbar, smart contracts are written in knock are specified in knock and are using the exact same, uh, serialization binary format that your application code and that your kernel's running in urban, right? So the whole, your, your normal personal server, same code format that your smart contract's running. So you just send it a function call basically. That's it. So then, I mean, um, is your work on, on developing a compiler or, you know, cause obviously learning knock is a steep curve for a lot of people. Uh, no, so so you'll be able to spe you'll be able to actually write Hoon, right, and and then have it be compiled into not just like any normal Hoon code would be, um, and so you know learning Hoon is its own yeah, can of worms, I should say, but but it won't be any more difficult to write smart contracts in Utbar than it is to write a Hoon program. It'll just be a different kind of Hoon program. So anyway, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm kind of doing a mix of an an engineering manager role and uh, just doing individual contribution on really banging out the prototype for these guys. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Got to work on some really, really um, complicated problems that are at the core of how the Urbit system works. Like, how do you implement a knock-based JET dashboard to uh, speed up speed up code that's virtualized in a bounded virtual knock interpreter that's not the same one that's in the C version of Air. And, you know, lo lo lots of just funky stuff that you don't do when you're writing normal applications. But it's good. Everything's going well. So, You know, you, you spun off on your own. Um, and then with Ukbar, uh, I know has been seeking for financing. Like what's the, uh, what's the financing and fundraising side like now? I mean, is it still VCs saying, okay, shut up and take my money? Um, how educated are people the, that the are financing providing side financing? For, for, for whom? Sorry. Uh, for, uh, I guess like for, for you, I mean like, you know, how, how, how did you find like receptivity to your idea and pitching people on what to, you to, were to going roll. to do? Yeah. Yeah. And then also for, you know, I guess to the extent that you were involved with Ukbar, but just generally what do you find is the climate? 
Sure. So, so as as a as Terrell's just a contractor to Utbar, um, we we you know we um, don't really uh, have a solid idea of of what their funding process was was looking like. Um, so, but but I can speak to uh, the Terrell Corporation fundraise, uh, which which we did. Uh, Christian and I did it over the summer. Um, we essentially started in June and we're done by. You know, and when I say started, I mean you know started working on the pitch, started thinking about who we would talk to, started to run it by people a little bit and say, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna quit. Um, and then we had the whole thing done by uh, mid August. And so, I, I found that uh, the funding environment was very um, was very good, basically. Um, 80% of our, about 80% of our, uh, funds were raised from urban galaxy owners and from, uh, urban investors. So, so we had this, uh, joyous situation where, um, essentially we just got our friends to sign on and, uh, they all knew us well and were very happy to work with us. And so it was this, you know, it was lovely because we just, it, it was basically a friends and family round, except our friends and family extended to many of the urban galaxy owners. And so uh, we, we ended up in a lovely situation where um, people believe in urban enough and people believed in us personally enough that uh, we could raise, um, you know, two and a half years of runway or so with, without, a, without a lot of issues and um, at a, at a good valuation. So, and so your goal, your goal would be to start hitting, getting revenue in like three years. No. Um, so, so we, we already have revenue. Oh, right. Um, okay. well, obviously you're a so, contractor so, uh, for, to, are you counting that or what? Um, sure, sure. So, so, um, we've, we've, uh, continued our work of, um, of, uh, selling stars and galaxies. Okay. And we've also continued, um, and, and we've also initiated this contract with Utbar. And then we also have an ongoing relationship with the Urban Foundation and the Combine. Um, and, and so between those, uh, we, we have a few different short-term revenue sources that are uh, substantial. Do you have, what, what other projects are you interested in working on or excited about working on going forward? So beyond studio, beyond uh Ukbar. anything else well i mean i i think the questions are are less like what is it beyond studio and more like what is studio going uh, to be right because because studio i i think is going to continue to be the container of 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 the work that we're doing um at, at least the work that terrell is doing proper and so we plan to very quickly turn studio into much more than just a blog publisher that has a couple of themes and is extremely minimal and bare bones. And in fact, our, our idea is essentially to move studio into a space where first we, we can let you put uh, static assets at any part of your, you know, at any path on your website that you desire to put it in. So, First off, you'll be able to continue publishing your notebook at some path that you desire it to be published at, but you'll also be able to have a homepage that looks the way that you want it to be that's custom designed and all of that stuff and just treat the, the notebook part as, as the blog that your site has a, you know, somewhere. Um, we're also going to be uh, really, really heavily extending our templating system such that people can very easily build out their own templates for, for their blog and uh, so, so essentially, make again making it match their own branding, and then and then the third big area of focus that we have for that is um, the general one of allowing that site that you've built that you have looking the way you want it to look, exhibiting your custom brand, um, allowing that site to allow product listings to let you sell things. So that's that's the third big area. Is there any uh, optimization that has to be done with Urbit now that will allow expansion from from the sort of sort of hits that it can take right now? I mean, if we're talking like ten thousand users an hour or something like that, 
Is there some sort of optimization that has to be mm -hmm. done from where we are right now that will allow expansion to much larger websites? By which I mean traffic. Yes. Um, so, yes, I understand. So, so yes. And, uh, and we're actually in discussion with uh, Talon and the Urban Foundation about the best ways to tackle that. And it's, it's very likely that, um, that, that uh, one of those is going to be tackled uh, by Terrell, at least in part. So, so the, the low hanging fruit here for, or not, not necessarily low hanging fruit, but the, the, the next areas of optimization that need to be done to, to make um, Urbit very, very good at serving very large amounts of web traffic are simple, at least in concept. So we need a runtime cache, a runtime scry cache. So we need a cache that lives in the runtime that allows uh, the Urbit web server to publish data in, into the uh, into this scry cache, such that then when the HTTP server in the interpreter is asking for a web page that you already have, you just scry it out of the scry cache. You say, oh, here's the web page. And then you don't have to put something like caddy or varnish in front of your Urbit web server if you want to... Um, if you want to serve a, a very, very high traffic page and you only need to have a few parts of your web page that are dynamically rendered, such as maybe your some, you know, some of your product listings, like which ones you're out of stock of or something, which could just be a little JSON file or something. Um, be, be, uh, be actually hitting your orbit in any meaningful sense. And are you public that you're in Austin? Am I public that I'm in Austin? Yes. Yeah. I so, live in Austin. Because you talk, yeah, I, I don't know. But like the, um, so the reason I asked just, you know, how how do you feel about that as an alternative to San Francisco? Or is the titration exercise already too many people from the Bay Area have shown up and it's doomed? Uh, you know, Austin was doomed before people from the Bay Area even started showing up. Um Austin is just another metropolitan in in the United States that has the exact same um, dynamics um, that every other metropolitan area has in the United States. So, you know that that varies. Uh, you know, on the one hand, um, they have a uh, DA that doesn't prosecute crime, similar to San Francisco. Um, they have, um, massive amounts of funding for very strange things. Um, and, uh, they have a populace that is going to continue leaning into those dynamics, um, with no end. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, uh, not going to change in Austin or in any other metropolitan area in the United States. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's all a question of relative good. It's like, how, how good is this for now? And it's, it's good for now. Nice. Uh, you're a Glock guy. I am a Glock guy. Yeah. So, so, uh, we have a Glock 26 and an AR 15 and, uh, we probably plan to get a, some, some other form of a Glock, uh, one of, one of the other compacts at some point. Very nice. The, um, uh, no, this is good. I mean, like, is, is there anything that you want people to be excited about, to know about? Um, sure. Um, I, I think that the things to be excited about right now are in realizing that because there are now multiple organizations that are doing real stuff on Urbit. So there, there is DC Spark, there's Terrell, there's Urban Foundation, which is now its own entity. There is the Utbar DAO, whatever their legal organization is, I forget what it's called. There, there is uh, Talon, obviously, um, and there's there's others, right? Um, there's there's a uh, Urban Media. There's there's a uh, Mars Review of Books. There's uh, Other Life. And and so um, and so all, all of these all of these different um, flowers are basically beginning to bloom because they have the ability to um, 
find, you know, find their own niche. They can find their own place. They can do their own thing. And the urban community is at this point wealthy enough and uh, large enough that it can support a few of these measures. And so, so long as everybody, uh, you know, pulls their weight, we can keep expanding, keep getting more wealthy, you know, all of us, right? And, uh, and keep doing more and more ambitious stuff. And so I think the thing to be excited about at this point is that there are many different visions now able to be realized on orbit, not just one. That is exciting. That is exciting. How's the planet? How's the planet market? Oh yeah. These days. Oh yeah. I forgot about planet market. So we actually stopped selling planets on planet market when gas fees got high, but we're, we're soon going to relaunch it, uh, with credit card payments on layer two. Okay. And we're going to do that essentially as the first example of what other people can do or will be able to do soon with studio. So the idea being that anyone can have their own planet market and we plan to, I don't think we'll do it in the beginning, but we do plan to, uh, put out our statistics of how many planet sales we're doing a week, how many planet, you know, how much money we're making on each planet sale and everything just essentially as a means of encouraging other people, Hey, look, you can use our payment rails and compete with us and we're going to love it. You know, go for it. Do your own marketing, have your own brand, do your thing, get your community on here. Thank you for listening to the stack. Find us on the Boomer Web at orbisledger.news and on Twitter at the Orbis Ledger. That's T H E O R B I S L E D G E R. And remember, three three nine seven five four one one.